0: I first want to open by welcoming all the heroes. Why am I calling you heroes? Rabbi Yoshe Ber said that a real Jew is one who lives a life of heroism. He fights physical instincts. He, f- he overcomes egocentric intellect. He resists societal pressures to live a life Aligned with commitment, devotion, subservience to the Almighty. You sitting here are heroes. You made your decision to travel far. You delay your career. You're foregoing income. And probably most of you sitting here are resisting parental and societal pressure. Rabbi Yashabar will call you Heroes. This is the orientation schmooze, and the goal here is to orient you, to give you a sense of where you are heading. You're entering a new world, and we want to get a sense of what that world looks like. You can imagine that if you've been working with an Android phone for a few years, and then somebody throws an Apple phone at you and you start using all the Android systems that you're habituated to, it's not going to work. You have to realize that when you enter a new system, you got to understand how the system works. It's one of the things I want to try to open your thoughts on. What does this new world look like? So, this Tuesday is a perfect opening because it sits between Parsha Shoftim, and, and there are things in each of those partios that open the door to help us understand where we are or should be heading. So Shoftim the Shotrim that's what we read last week. Shoftim are judges. It's the judicial branch, weighs conflicting issues, it makes judgments, the judicial branch of the legal system. Shotrim are the enforcers. After the judicial branch made a decision, we need Shotrim, we need policemen, we need what we call, I guess, the executive branch to implement those decisions. But the fact that we're talking to you means that every individual also has to have Shoftim and Shotrim because it says... Shoftim v'shotrim titen she'arecha. Well, if we're talking to the community alone, it should have said, Shoftim v'shotrim titen i'recha. In your communities, what is the gates? What does it mean to have Shoftim and Shoftrim in the gates? So we're talking to the individual who has to have tools to make correct judgments. That's your Shoftim. You have to make a decision on conflicting priorities. You have to know what your resources are. You have to make correct judgments. But that's only the first step. Because after you know what's right, after you know what you're supposed to do and what your priorities are, then comes the tricky part. The tricky part is... That while it's Nike is easy, it's not so easy. Nike is just do it, but it's not so easy to just do it because we have a yechzur hara, and we have challenges. And even when we know what we're supposed to do, it's not so easy to actually walk your talk. The idea of shovtim veshotrim titain She shearecha specifically. You need these Shofti Vishotrim at gates. Sha'arim. What are gates? So, the idea of a gate is a doorway. It's an entrance, an entrance way leading to something, leading to something. It's an opening to a challenge. It's an opening to an opportunity. It's an opening. Elul is a very unique month. Elul is the end of the year. But there's a reason why yeshiva started Elul. It's also the opening, it's the prep for the next year. It's the opening of the door for the next year. So when you have a gateway, an opening, you've got to know what are you trying to accomplish. And then we jump to this week's Parsha, So again, of course, the simple understanding is war, national war, military war. But all of the Bali Hasidus and the Bali Musur tell us that it's also referring to another war. It's the war with your major enemy, and your major enemy is your Yetzer Hara. So when you're going into battle with your Yetzir Hara, and it said at the end of last week's parsha that it's very easy to be afraid. Ra'ita Again, sus in military. You're seeing tanks and missiles. But on a personal level, you're seeing big, heavy challenges. And it's telling you not to be afraid, and that you've got to confront it. So when we talk about a Yetzir Hara, the first thing I always like to introduce... Is what the Slonim Rebbe says is the biggest Yetzer Hara that we have in our generation. It's not what you think, even though the Slonim Rebbe wrote this before the internet. And today everybody says that's the biggest Yetzer Hara. He wrote it before the internet, and the internet is only a symptom of the big Yetzer Hara. The Yetzer Hara says the Slonim Rebbe is Katnut Hadat, what one of, one of my rebbeim used to call. Being a pea brain, little small perceptions, you only see the little small picture, and you lose the, the, the you lose sight of the big system, the big picture, the amazing potential that every human being has, the amazing richness of Torah. Godless hadas, look way out there. You know, a a, a thousand years ago and five hundred years ago they looked at the scientific world and they thought we're dealing here with something, you know, very small, very tangible. Today, what science knows is what it doesn't know. It's just, it's an unbelievable system, the system of nature. Well, we have to realize that our spiritual world, it's unbelievable. We can't have this little minor perspective, but we have to have the picture of unbelievable potential. So that's the first heart One of the barriers to seeing the big picture is that the world we live in, I, I've been giving you shmooze like this for many, many years. And we used to talk about how the world of Torah is in, stands in contrast to the world out there where Rabbi Sol Salanter says that Adam is chafshi bidimyono, the asur bimuskalo. Asur doesn't mean prohibited, asur means he's trapped. Chavshi <laughs> bidimyono, your fantasy is unlimited but logic is very limited. A person can fantasize anything, but at the end of the day, you got to come back to reality. I say I have to update this now, because we used to talk about a world of fantasy. We live in a world of fantasy, and today we don't live in a world of fantasy anymore. Fantasy means you could imagine all kinds of things. The Rambam, when he talks, ironically, just to show you, when the Rambam wants to illustrate your imagination, what could imagination do? Imagination, says the Rambam, I take reality A, that's real, and I take reality B, and I'm able to put reality A and reality B together to make something that we ever ever saw. That's what your imagination can do. But the irony is, you know what the Ramam uses as his, as his example? He says, we have a boat on the ocean, and we have a bird. The bird flies. The boat is very strong, but it just sails. And we could imagine something that can't exist. A boat that flies. Anybody ever seen a boat that flies? <laughs> Most of you got here on a boat that flies. It's called an airplane. So, there's the idea of the imagination. But we used to live in a fantasy world. Ma- the advertising industry showed us fantasy, and journalists showed us fantasy, and unfortunately, I'm realizing today, we don't live in a world of fantasy anymore. We live in a world of lies. Check it. They have taken things that make it sound like they're real and they're not fantasy, they're false. So the first thing is we have to know that we have to make sure that we're asur besichler, that we're locked into logic, we're locked into reality. And one of the things about a yeshiva, one of the things that you have to be prepared for is what I call a reality check. What's real? What's fake? One of the reasons that we're so focused on text is because text forces you to be rooted in reality. You can make up all kinds of svaras, you can make up all kinds of ideas, but how do we know whether they're authentic or not? We have to go back to our text. We have to see what our tradition tells us, what our sources tell us. So when we talk about reality checks I like to use a, a, a term from Stephen Covey it's called paradigm shifts. You have paradigms you have a way that look that you look at the world and when you enter the yeshiva when you enter a world of Torah you have to have paradigm shifts because it's a new world and you have to make sure that the way you're looking at the world is aligned with the way the Torah looks at the world which is really the way God Has revealed to us the way the world is supposed to look. So, a couple of the things that we can contrast. Torah is not a world of information. Anybody who spent any time studying Gomorrah realizes that Gomorrah is a very ineffective way to transmit information, it's a world of process, it's a world of understanding. We're not in a world of fact. We're in a world of inner reality. Ravolvi talks about this very much. And again, it's a much worse problem today than when he was writing about it. Our reality is built on how many likes we got on Facebook. We don't like to live in a... We don't build an inner world. Who are you? Not what somebody else tells you you are. That can be, some, that can be scary sometimes. We live in a world of values, not in a world of externals. And part of your challenge is to build your values and they have to be internalized. Reality checks. People are looking for the silver bullet. How do I get there fast? We want it all now. Instant gratification. Judaism is built on delayed gratification. The whole system is a delayed gratification system. It starts with the fact that we're in this world to earn our next world. That's delayed gratification. So, that's a big paradigm shift. There's no simple solution. There's no quick silver bullet. You've got to work and you've got to realize that it doesn't happen immediately. Spiritual growth a phrase that we used to use decades ago, which is still relevant. You can't microwave a tomato seed into a tomato. You have to plant it in the ground and you have to nurture it and it takes time to grow into a tomato plant. But somehow or other we want to grow fast and it's hard work and it takes time. Growth is slow. Stephen Covey talks about the land, the law of the farm. He has a beautiful example of a farmer who visits a university. I assume most of you remember university careers. You show up first day of class. The professor gives you a reading list and a certain number of papers. I'm not sure if they still do it. now with AI, with the artificial intelligence, they might not be able to give you papers anymore because you just have the AI write the papers. But in the old days, you had to read books and you had to do papers. And in 10 weeks, you gotta turn in the papers, and in 10 weeks, you're gonna have to take the test on the books. Semester's 10 weeks, 12 weeks. So, unless you were a nerd, you probably spent 8 or 9 weeks goofing off and having a lot of fun at university. And then the last week, you did an all-nighter, you crammed, you read the books, you did the papers. Does that sound familiar to anybody? How you ran, how you ran your university career? Okay. And you know what? It worked! It worked! Says Covey, imagine a farmer, shows up at university, spends the semester there, sees what the university, hey, they goofed off for nine weeks, ten weeks, and then the last week they crammed. Says the farmer, I'm a jerk. I I have to plow in September and plant and nurture and water and wait. I can produce a crop. I can do all that in two weeks. I don't need six months for the crop. So he goofs off all winter and at the end he plows and plants and does everything. Into- of course, what happens? Nothing. Covey says that's the law of the farm. Uh, anybody who actually spent the whole ten weeks studying knows they got a better education than the guy who just crammed it all in. you got to be ready to pay the price of work slow. It takes time. There are other paradigm shifts you have to have one of the things society tells us is you can have it all and today already we're realizing that you can't have it all it's a mis- it's misleading you can't have it all you have to make choices there are priorities and you have to make those choices we're used to thinking secularism tells us we worship man we don't worship god everything is about man If you study secular philosophy, it's a shift towards the idea, it's hard to even say such a thing. Secularism says, secularism's critique of religion is that, oh, you say God created man. We say man created God. It's all about man. And of course we see what man being at the center of existence did to us in the 20th century. Secularism. So you've got to realize that, no, that you are an individual and you're here for a purpose. That opens up the door for communal responsibility. Our society tells us it's all about you and I'm afraid that some of you may have come with your own personal agenda and I'm not interested in what goes on in the tzibur, in the community. And the morale teaches us in amount, many places, that when God gave the Jewish, when God gave the Torah into the world, the Torah was not given to the individual. Avram Avinu didn't get the Torah. Yitzchak didn't get the Torah. The, the twelve Shvatim didn't get the Torah. The Shivim Nefesh that went to Mitzrayim didn't get the Torah. The Torah wasn't given until there was a Klal Yisrael. And if you want to be a recipient of Torah, you have to be connected to the Tzibor, connected to the Klal. And that's very different than an iconoclastic vision of yourself. I'm here for me. And i got to worry about me. And it doesn't matter how what I do affects other people or my connection with other people. That's antithetical to Torah. You need to be part of it, Seabor. And that has lots of practical ramifications for making sure you're in for the end Shabbos to worrying about your roommate or your dorm mate to worrying about how your actions affect other people in the seaboard. There was a message sent around about Kaspej seaboard. Money. You think there's a free ride. There's no free lunch. Milton Friedman. You have a responsibility to treat yeshiva property as hektish. Hektish is sanctity. You have to treat it more valuable than your own money. That's part of being responsibility that that the Torah imposes upon you. There are paradoxes. Paradigm shift is going to mean you're going to live with paradox. We don't like paradox. We want solutions. We want solutions. We want everything to work out perfectly. Judaism is full of paradox. Man was created as an individual. The whole world was for me. And yet, you have a responsibility to the board. Freedom of choice. But you have a responsibility to make good choices. Free choice doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Independent thinking. We don't want robots. One of the things we're going to try to encourage you here is think for yourself. But realize that you're in a system of Mesorah. That you're in a system of tradition. You're in a system that came down to us from Sinai. Spiritual growth. Every day has to be new. A new challenge. The killer of, of growth, the killer of spiritual growth, is routine. And it's a very big challenge. You're going to wake up every morning to daven, just like you davened yesterday. And one could almost say, if I repeat today what I did yesterday, then today I wasn't alive. Life is always growing, always looking to change, always looking to do it better. And you've got to, you've got to be focused on that. That's one of the things you have to do here. That's one of your challenges. You're in an environment that makes it very simple to go to, to daven. But you've got to be able to do it in a way that you can take it with you when you leave the yeshiva. Right now, it's it, 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 it may see it, it's it's easy. You, you you roll down the steps and you're in minion. Those of you who lived an orthodox life outside of the yeshiva know it ain't so easy. It's cold. It's far. It's inconvenient. Davening with a minion is very important. Habituate yourself to do it when it's easy. Realizing that it's not always going to be so easy. Character traits You can be a brilliant. Science professor and be a very corrupt person. There's no connection between your ethics and your intelligence. In Torah, it's exactly the opposite. Torah was given to human beings who are fashioning themselves into godlike human beings. Character development is not an extracurricular activity. People like to think about it like that. Okay, there's I gotta study Torah, gotta work on my Midos. Never the twain shall meet. They're inseparable. You cannot possibly succeed in your Torah learning unless you fashion yourself into a godlike human being. That's Midos, that's character traits, that's spiritual growth. Kedusha sanctity. The idea of not being an indulgent, hedonistic person. The famous Ramban, in the beginning of Parshat Kedoshim, there's a mitzvah of being Kedoshim, holy, sanctified, hard to translate these words into English. Says the Ramban, I will update his phrase. His phrase is, Naval Berchut Torah. You can be an abominable, an abominable person with the permission of the Torah. Nowadays, what we would say is it's possible to be a glot kosher hedonist. All the indulgences with perfect teksherim. Says the Ramban, that's not what a Jew is supposed to be. And that's again, this is refining your personality. This is something that you have to be focused on while you're in yeshiva because it's going to be a big challenge when you're out there. When you leave the yeshiva, it's going to be a big challenge. Arecha, you have gates, there are openings now. You're standing at the opening of a doorway, and you've got to clarify for yourself what are your priorities, what are your goals, what are the resources you have. The third aspect in the title of the Shemuz you have to appreciate the unbelievable resources you have. You're not going to, app- you'll, you have Rebbeim. That alumni, after they leave, are all of a sudden still back in touch. You're really the only resource I have for... noam hashkafa. Here's where the last part comes in. I know that many of you heard that, oh, Chappelle's, it's great for learning, but they don't have a Hashkafa. That's a misunderstanding of what Hashkafa is. Hashkafa means, how do we look at the world? Do we look at the world on the surface... Or do we look at the world with depth? Do we look at the world as a spiritual reality? Hashkafah means how are you approaching the world and how do I base that? Where do I get it from? You draw it from the Torah. You build your picture of the world by studying Torah and that's where the environment here can help you clarify for yourself. Every Jew has a unique part in the Torah. Every Jew has a unique neshama. And not every Jew has to do it exactly the same way as every other Jew. Every Jew has a framework. It's called the Torah. It's called Halacha. It's called our texts. And yet everyone has a unique neshama. And one of the things you want to do here, you have the opportunity, is to help, as one of my mentors, one of my great Rebbeim, said in praising what we do, he said, you help every Jew find the part of Torah that their neshama is connected to. Not every Jew's neshama connects to every part of Torah. And you've got to be thinking about that. What kind of a neshama do I have? How does that neshama relate to the objective Torah? We have a subjective self, and there's an objective Torah, and our job is to integrate them. These are your challenges. These are your resources. These are your opportunities. You need shoftim. You need your intellect to judge the process to judge the goals, to judge what you're supposed to be doing. But then at the end of the day, I wish it was as easy as Nike. You got to do it. And that's where the Yetzer Hara, that's where the battle comes in. That you have to know what to do. You need the Shoftim. And then you need the Shoftim. You need the enforcers. That's your Yetzir Tov. That's your discipline. That's the quality of your personality that is going to get you to be not an instinctual person, not follow your instinct, but follow your intellect. Studying Torah is to enhance the intellect. Working on your Midos is to enable the intellect to control your activities. A lot of challenges ahead of you.